Well, welcome everyone. It is good to be with you here tonight in our series that we're calling Failed Christians. Uh, it's, it's been a, a deeply uh, touching series uh, for me so far, and I pray uh, that you have had a wonderful experience also. Uh, if you have not heard the first two messages, I, I encourage you to go out to iTunes or uh, our website and download the, uh, the messages. They're really, really good, very powerful, just uh, how God is uh, at work in our lives. And uh, on that note, we want to say welcome to our friends uh, that join us via podcast and download. Uh, we thank you for being together with us in spirit and in truth, and we know that you are here with us, uh, not physically, but uh, together with us in the Lord. So, Welcome to our message time, and uh, to all of you, thank you for being here and uh, taking some time out of this beautiful day to be a part of our, our gathered worship here. We, uh, over the past couple of weeks, have looked at a couple different things. Scott start us, started us out a few weeks ago with the idea that we have all sinned, and uh, that this is a, a club, you might say, where we are all members and uh, so, welcome to the club. And then Jay- Jason last week talked about this uh, biblical person, Nicodemus, and really spoke to those of us that might come from a more intellectual bent and have a difficult time grasping some of the good news of Christ uh, because intellectually we struggle with what the Bible says and and how it lays things out. And, and so, again, if you haven't heard those, I encourage you to, to look those up and, and uh, give them a listen. This week, we're talking about beat down by sin. And I know none of us have ever experienced that in our lives. We have no idea what it feels like to be beat down by sin. But, uh, you know, I, I'm convinced that sin is something that we struggle with right from the get-go, right from birth. And as a way, it, I, I, as I was thinking about this, I was reflecting on my own family and uh, my own daughter, Ariel. She, she's a beautiful, wonderful child. She is strong-willed. Dr. Dobson, when he wrote his book, The Strong-Willed Child, I believe was having a prophetic vision of my three-year-old daughter, I do believe. And, uh, you know... She knows. We have rules. We lay them out very clear, very concise. One of the rules at home is that she does not climb the bunk bed. Now, my, my son and my daughter share a bunk bed. They call it bonk bed because they bonk their heads on it when they're in the bottom bunk. And so her bed is the bottom bunk. And she is not allowed to climb the ladder to the top bunk because she's only three years old and there's a possibility she might fall off and hurt herself. And so we, the rule is you need to be five or older to climb the ladder. Unless mommy or daddy are around to, you know, spot you. Well, without fail, almost on a daily basis, we will find Ari somewhere between the bottom rung and the top bunk of the bed, crying, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy, come get me, because she has climbed up the ladder of the bunk bed. 
She knows that she's not supposed to do that. She knows that she's going to be punished when we come in and find her halfway between the top and the bottom bunk. But there she sits. And so as soon as we walk in the door, she starts crying because she knows she's going to be punished. But she does it again and again and again. And, you know, in my own life, I know that I struggle with that sort of thing, too. There are things that God has told me in my life through His Word. You are not to do that. And I do that. You are not to lie, but I'll find myself telling, oh, it's just a little white lie. And I make it work in my own head so it's not as bad as what it actually is. Whatever the rule is, whatever the law is, I find myself struggling with it and falling into temptation, falling into sin, being a failure, a failed Christian. But, you know, I find a lot of comfort in the Scripture. I find a lot of help in the Bible. Because, you know, one of the great things about this story is it's not clean. Man, this is a messy, junk-filled story. The people in here screw up time and time and time again. In fact, people, not just your average everyday Joe, but people that God refers to as people after his own heart. David, King David, a man after God's own heart is how he's described in Scripture. And man, he messes up a lot. Can you just imagine? Now set aside the idea that, that God's omnipotent for just a moment. And imagine what it would have been like if you know, God's sitting in his office behind his desk, you know, like he does. And uh, Michael the archangel comes in and uh, says, uh, Lord... Uh, got to talk to you about David. You know, King David, you're anointed, the one after your own heart, you know him? Yes, Michael? What do you need to tell me about David? Well, you see, Lord, you know how it's springtime, and the kings are supposed to go out to war, and, and well, David kind of didn't. He stayed at home. All right, so he stayed at home. Big deal. It's not like he did anything stupid. Well, yeah, about that. Um, well, you see, David was up on his balcony and looked down, and he kind of saw someone bathing. Yeah. Well, that's all right, Michael. At least, at least you know, he went back into his house and turned away and didn't lust after her. Well, about that. Um, yeah. He kind of did lust after, and um, yeah, so he, he fell into that temptation. That's, well, okay, he fell into the temptation. At least he didn't do anything about that lust. Yeah, well, about that. Um, you see, he uh, kind of called for her and uh, brought her into his uh, bedroom and lay with her. 
Yeah. Okay, we can fix this, Michael. We can, we can, we can do this. He'll just, he'll, he'll repent. He'll turn of it. And, and at least, you know, he didn't, he didn't, like, try to cover it up at all. Yeah, about that. Well, you know, he kind of called her husband in from war and, and kind of tried to cover it up, but that didn't work, so he had him murdered. Okay. Well, let's just see how this one plays out. <laughs> Can you imagine being God? Can you imagine having your anointed, the one, the king of Israel that is leading your entire people group? He is supposed to be the example of what purity and trust and strength and honor is supposed to be all about. And what is he doing? He's lusting. I mean, you got the top ten, right? The top ten commandments. David's done like Five of the ten in this one incident. He's coveted his neighbor's wife. He's lied. He's murdered. It's, I mean, he really went to town (laughs) with this one incident. But God calls him a man after his own heart. Don't get that. Maybe it's how David handled that. Something I'd like you to write down on on your worship folders there if you take notes I invite you to check out Psalm 51. Now, it's thought that this psalm is a response to David's fall. So this week, as you look into your scripture, as you read, uh, check out Psalm 51. Don't do it now. Eyes on me. Thank you. (laughs) Psalm 51. Check it out this week. Write it down. And that's David's response to his fall into sin. And I think, you know, again, this is really, I appreciate the story of David. I appreciate that this isn't the only time that David has fallen and failed. And the Bible records it to show us that people that are following after God often fail, often fall into their own desires, fall into sin. The thing I struggle with, though, is why? You know, if, if I were God, which I'm not, I know you're all shocked to hear that, but I'm not, and if I were, though, I think I would create my followers to be such, in such a way that they wouldn't screw up anymore. That would be what I would do. You know, wouldn't it be much better, God, if we, your followers, could be this shining example of what life is like after we decide to follow you, after we commit our lives to you? Wouldn't it be much better if we could show people that we didn't sin anymore? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't more people want to be in your family following after you if they knew that when they do... They wouldn't sin anymore. They wouldn't fail anymore. So why? Why do we fail? Why do we as God's followers fall short of what he is asking us to do? 
I think a good place to start with that question is, is uh, the Apostle Paul. And he writes in 2 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up to 2 Corinthians. Uh, there's Bibles underneath your chairs if you don't have one with you. The words are also going to be up on the screen too. You can follow along. But 2 Corinthians, Paul, <laughs> he's an interesting bird. He is starting off this chapter of chapter 12 of, of 2 Corinthians talking about He's using these, these vague terms. There was this guy I knew, you know, this guy. He was, uh, he was pretty special. And uh, whether he was having a vision or whether he was, you know, actually experiencing this, I'm not real sure. I don't really know. But, but this guy, he was something else. He was talking about himself. Paul is talking about himself here. And he's, so when he says that, all this stuff, he's talking about how these visions that he has had could lift him up, could make him proud and puffed up, and he's having a little bit of trouble with humility. So he goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the second part of verse 7 through 10, and he says this. He says, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time, he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That is why I take pleasure in my weaknesses, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So perhaps one of the reasons why God allows His followers to fail, to fall, to go back into sin. I love the way Scripture return, uh, talks about it uh, it talks about a dog returning to its vomit. You know, and it's, it's gross. Why would you want to do that over and over and over again? But we do. And we fall into it time and time and time again. And maybe the reason why, or one of the reasons why, is to keep us humble. Help us to understand that we are no better, aside from Christ, no better than the person next door to us, across the room from us, simply because we follow after Christ and they do not, does not make us a better person than they are, aside from Christ. Perhaps another reason, and I think that this is, this is probably the, the key reason, and if you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down and take this home and check it out this week as you're reading through these scriptures, but... I would like to think that until you embrace failure, until you embrace failure, you will never understand grace. Until you embrace the fact that we are fallen and we are sinful and we do it again and again and again, we will never understand God's grace. 
We will never understand what it means for someone to hurt us again and again and again and continually forgive them because that is what God has done for us. Until you embrace our failure, you'll never understand grace. In 1 John chapter 1, we read in verses 8 and 9, it says that if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the idea that we do not sin is a lie that we tell ourselves that maybe we as a church tell other people. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, God knows that we will fail. And it is in our failure, it is in our weakness that His strength is made known. His good news, the promise, the new life, the new beginning that we can have in Christ. And we can have it again and again and again. I think we can look at this individually and focus on ourselves and apply this to ourselves most definitely. But I also want to take a moment to just look at how this sin, how this failure perhaps could be perpetuated in our church. Church capital C, the body of Christ. You know, Dell in her clip in the video mentioned how she, as a Christian, could not come to grips or she struggled with the idea that she still struggled. She still failed. She still sinned. Why? Because as Christians, as the church, for some reason, we've made up this idea that we are no longer supposed to struggle. We're no longer supposed to fail. We're supposed to have it all together. And friends, that is bull. No. Now, as I quickly, right on the heels of that, want to say and point out exactly what Ben said. It gets better. And I'm not the same place I was when I first gave my heart to Christ. And there's a journey and a progression. But I still fail. And I still fall. And as Ben said in his very insightful words. It's at the point where we fail time and time and time again, and we have asked God to take it away time and time and time again. It's at that point when we are out of options, when we have run out of all solutions that we can come up with, that God says, okay, now I can do something. Because it's no longer about you and what you can do. 
It's about what I can do in and through you by the power of Christ. Do we need to fail? Yeah, we need to fail. Because it's in our failure that we realize God's grace. It's in our failure that we we realize his strength. We are failed. Praise be to God for our failure. As a church, I think we have failed in that the world is seen as this adulteress. And the same story that we read in, in Jesus' life where the woman that was caught in adultery was brought before Christ. You notice it was just the woman. Where was the guy? It usually takes two to tango here. Where's the man? We're not real sure. They're trying to catch up Christ in, in his teaching. They bring this woman to Jesus, lay him at the feet, say, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. What do you do? I love Christ in his response. He says, okay. As the crowds gathered, and the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the righteous, the church people have the stones ready to stone the woman because that is the penalty for her sin, he says, let the one among you without sin cast the first stone. So what does Jesus do? He reminds them of their own failure. He says, look first at your own lives. Look first at your own shortcomings. And then stone her if you can find no fault. And you see, in the church today, we've got that all backwards. People come to us hurting. People come to us struggling with things in their lives. And we stone them with our placards. Says, God hates fags. Unbelievable. We have an adulterous world brought to the feet of the body of Christ. And we pick up our stones of self-deluded chastity, ready to stone her. So we need, both individually and I believe corporately, to look at ourselves and look where we have failed and ask for forgiveness. Because as that First John passage said, if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive. He knows our failings. He knows where we've fallen short. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says it this way. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. He says, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus Christ, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are. He knows our failings. He knows where we're going to be tried and where we're going to be tempted. Yet without sin... Let us, therefore, approach the throne of grace with 
boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we're beaten down by sin, it is at that point that we can boldly come into the throne room of grace and reach up and find mercy. And friends, why do we struggle with that when someone comes to us with that same sin, with the same failure? All sin is sin in God's eyes. It's all short of God's glory. It's all short of the line that he requires of us. Man, we need to find that forgiveness for ourselves. We need to find that forgiveness for the world around us. Why does God not take it away? Why does God not relieve us of this sin? Why does he not take that thorn out of our flesh? Because he wants to show the world around us that God's followers fail, but they can continue to boldly come into that throne room and find grace and find mercy. It's there through the gift of Christ. So embrace failure so that you and I might understand grace and be able to share that with a world that desperately needs us. Whether you're a first-time person here today, maybe what we're talking about just seems completely foreign to you, and I understand that. This stuff is wild and it's radical. Or whether you are a lifelong Christian, you were born in the church and raised here, that idea of embracing failure so that we might know grace is something that we can all agree upon. We all need to come to that place in our lives. If we, as we go to a time of response, can embrace that and understand our failings, and it is at that point that we understand grace, and it would be a much better place, much more beautiful world. As Anna said in her little portion of the clip, it's at that point that she understood her role and what she, how she was going to live out her faith when she accepted grace. And so, friends, let's go to prayer. And let's pray to our Lord, our God. Let's pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that we might accept the grace of God as we embrace our failure, as we embrace our own shortcoming. And may we, as a church, by God's grace, lay aside this false facade that we got it all together. And show the world that we still fail, even as Christ followers. Let's go to God. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much that the collection of your stories, this Bible that we read, has example upon example of people that fail but who earnestly follow after you, even in the midst of their failure. Father, I know I resonate with that. I desire to earnestly follow after you, and I fail. I confess my sin to you, Lord. We confess our corporate sin to you.
and our individual failings to you. Lord, and we claim the promise that's in your word that when we confess to you, you are faithful to forgive. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who makes that forgiveness possible. Draw us to yourself, Lord, as we journey toward you and with you. Help us to be the loving hands and feet of your son, Christ, to the world around us. Help us to lay down our stones. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.